everybody, it's Dave here, and joining me tonight on this Climb in the Pocket get-together is the one, the only, the man, the real Forno, Tyler Fornis. How are you doing, Tyler? Oh my gosh, Dave, it is good to see you. It is good to be back talking Vikings football. We've got training camp coming up with uh, players reporting here within the next few days, and there is a lot to talk about today. There sure is. My first question to you is, are you in camp shape? So am I overweight and out of shape? The answer is yes. Oh, <laughs> well, I think we both are. But that's one of the reasons we're doing this get-together tonight is to kick the rust off after about a month of a break. Uh, during that time, I... Moved from Denver to Austin, and this is now the new Diggs. Speaking of Diggs. Um, Very punny. Yes. Uh, so I've set up. We're getting going. We are the first two of the Climbing the Pocket gang to kick the rust off. We have, as we know, the Vikings report to camp officially. I think it is Wednesday. First day, full day's Wednesday. Tuesday or Wednesday. And they get there Tuesday. I think and everybody gets comes in and does their does their COVID tests and we find out who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated, and we go from there. What are you looking forward to? Honestly, I'm looking forward to. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I'm looking forward a little bit to see who's not vaccinated, so I can kind of uh, poke fun at them, and uh, just so so then we can have a better understanding of hey. Let's say, hypothetically, we know Adam Thielen has said he's not vaccinated. Thielen's not vaccinated. Well, then we can kind of uh, have that mindset. Well, we need to prepare for him to get COVID. Uh, he had it last year. It's been over a year uh, with the Delta variant and now swirling around. We have to be have that in the back of our mind that he could get hurt and be out because of the virus. Did he get and COVID last year? Was he positive? He did. Okay. Well, then he I'm missed, not as uh, worried about him. He should ha still have the antibodies. But he should, but with the Delta variant, who knows, man? Uh, so uh, Harrison Smith was another one. Kirk Cousins wouldn't confirm nor deny, but I don't think anybody would be shocked if he hasn't been vaccinated. So all those things, when you're not uh, talking a non-political uh, sense, you're only talking football, those are things you need to have in the back of your head and need to prepare for. And if your starting quarterback has not had the vaccine, uh, you need to assume he's going to be out two to three weeks because of the virus. And that means starting Kellen Mond or Jake Browning. And well, it doesn't take that's a just getting the virus. If you remember yeah. from last year, if he's around somebody that tests positive, then he's got to take, was it a, a week to 10 days off? And, yep. and, and he may never get it, but he can't partake during that time period. And that hurts the team. That's, I think that's one of the reasons why the NFL is so adamant on trying to persuade people to get the vaccination. We saw it earlier in the week when the Vikings released uh, their offensive line coach, Rick Dennison, and it was because mm -hmm. he didn't take the vaccination. He chose not to. And with that, he can no longer be a tier one employee being with the players because he's on staff. He's not a player. Players are yep. governed by the the players' agreement. The coaches and everybody else is totally yeah. different. They're, they're at will employees with the organizations and part of the NFL. And if the NFL says do it, you've got to do it for employment, They've got to do it for employment. Now, from what I gather in his case, he's still negotiating with the Vikings and probably in an advisory role where he can be away from everybody but still have input. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, one of the interesting things I found uh, kind of following how the NFL has gone about this process mm -hmm. is they have really done a, a calculated and smart job of how they worded everything and making sure that they're not directly saying you have to have the vaccine. And one of the things that you kind of mentioned were t all tier one employees have to have the vaccine in order to work and they in order to be around the players. Well, if Rick Dennison being a tier one employee doesn't have the vaccine, 
that all of a sudden he can't perform his job duties the way they're expected and the way he was hired to perform them. So in a roundabout way, you can consider that grounds for termination. Where that uh, comes into play otherwise is a lawyer is going to consider that wrongful termination and then you can kind of get into battle. But we're also talking about the NFL. They're an extremely calculated and intelligent league when it comes to uh, policies like this and making sure that they're relatively foolproof. They're not just you and me sitting at, at, a, at a table over a couple glasses of bourbon Ooh. figuring out this rule. They're, they're, there's a reason why they make billions upon billions of dollars a year. It's because they have intelligent people running the organization. Whether you believe that they've done the right thing every time, that you know, that's another conversation. But they've, they know how to run the league and they know how to do the right things as far as a legality is concerned. So the Vikings, uh, it seems like they're, they're going to be in the right according to kind of everything we know without knowing a lot of the nuts and bolts as far as letting Rick Dennison go, assuming it still continues down that path. What I'm really interested in seeing is if he ends up staying, what kind of rift does that have for the team? You know, that you got offensive line that will probably go to bat for Rick Dennison. You have, like, Dalvin Cook might go to bat for him because he's the run game coordinator and does a great job of scheming everything up. Mm-hmm. But – it's, it was very eerie to me that the news of Rick Dennison being let go was the three-year anniversary of Tony Sperano passing away. Now, it, they're completely different scenarios, but they are very alike at the same time. When Tony Sperano passed away, it was a shock to the system. Um, it was That was tragic. This, not so much. But you had to replace him. Right. And you had to do so days before camp. And yep. that is an absolute in ideal position for a football team to have to replace a high profile position coach at a position where we have historically struggled over the last decade. That's not something you want to have. That's not some, a position that you want to be in. And we can have the argument that Rick Dennison has not been good for the offensive line. He absolutely has not been good as far as a pass blocking uh, is concerned with the offensive line. But as far as the running game, is there anybody better other than Kyle Shanahan like Rick Dennison has done a fantastic job implementing the Gary Kubiak system and making sure that these guys are blocking it to AT, opening up holes for Dalvin Cook, and just being able to utilize their athleticism to get to the second level. And the concepts that we've used, we've used a lot of wide zone, inside zone, duo, even some power gap kind of stuff. Like that Dennison's done a fantastic job there. And you're taking that away. So there's a lot to get into. But at the end of the day, you don't want to replace a position coach on July 24th. Well, they did promote um, his protege that's been with him for the last, I think, five or six, seven years. Even so, Dave, like you and I have been doing shows together for over a year now. Like if you were to to promote me to producer, I can probably figure it out. Am I going to do as good of a job as you? (laughs) The answer is no. Like and that and that's kind of what we're looking at here. Like uh, together at moving this ship forward and doing a good job on these streams, we do awesome. I think we do a great job with our chemistry, uh, the IT side of things. But if you put that all on my shoulders, things are going to be missed. Things are going to struggle a little bit. And I think you can take that correlation over to the offensive line. It's his protege. But that doesn't mean uh, the student knows everything that the teacher does. Like, It's still going to be a loss no matter how you cut it up. Now, before we go any further, I do want to acknowledge we've had – Anthony chime in with a skull. Viking Jerome chime in. And, of course, the beautiful and wonderful Miss Mary Fisk to join us tonight. And I know his last-minute spur of the, you know, saddle type of uh, let's do this. But we're glad you're with us. Yes, we are very glad that you're with us. Now, you... Brought up the subjects for tonight. You wanted to talk about first a few camp battles. Which camp battles mm-hmm. are you looking forward to? I think the first one I'm really, really looking forward to is backup quarterback. And it's kind of weird that we're talking about backup quarterbacks, considering the Vikings haven't valued backup quarterbacks since what bringing in Jeff George. <laughs> like that's or Gus Farrat. Like those are the the last two I can really. Uh, put my finger on that the Vikings really valued that position. So the fact that we have Kellen Mond, who was brought in to potentially be the future for the Minnesota Vikings, and you have Jake Browning, who they paid a lot of money in undrafted free agency, $100,000 to come to Minnesota 
He's been on the practice squad. Like they obviously still really like him. So those two battling for that backup job, because I don't think Kellen Mond uh, should be the back quarterback right away. He is, uh, like, if anybody's ever played uh, the backyard sports games, backyard football, mm-hmm. backyard baseball, there is a, co- uh, like, the coach, per se, is a robot named Mr. Clanky. Mm-hmm. That is my comp for Kellen Mond because he's a damn robot and he's so stiff. He needs to be sent for, like, an eight-hour massage, spend eight hours in the sauna, and uh, then spend oh, another eight in a hot tub. Tinka, tinka, tinka on oh, the absolutely. Wizard of Oz stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it, he needs all that to loosen up. He needs to get loosey-goosey and it, it let it, and restart his mechanics. And I don't want him to be the backup for that reason. Now, can you see him as number three? But if Kirk goes down, he comes in and replaces. I, If, he, if he's going to be the guy to replace Kirk, if Kirk gets hurt, he's your number two. I don't think you can just have Kellen Mond as your number three and then insert him right away over Jake Browning. That I don't think that would make a whole lot of sense. Well, I mean, and as far as how you game, start, but like, say Kirk goes out for two weeks, he's been around somebody who tested positive for COVID. He's mm-hmm. out for two Sundays. Do you start him that following Sunday, or any of those? If you know in advance, do you start him to give him that time under center, or if Kirk? God forbid, gets hurt during a game, mm-hmm. you throw on Browning, but the next game, starting. If he is equal to um, or better than Jake Browning, I think the answer is yes. If the season becomes a lost cause for any reason, you aren't making a run, you aren't making the playoffs, you bench Kirk, you throw Mond in there, and you see what you got because there's a chance that Mike Zimmer isn't back with this team next oh. year. And I think there's a much better chance Mike Zimmer's not back than Rick Spielman isn't back. Because I think Rick Spielman uh, can, hey, I gave Zimmer everything he wanted. I gave him his defense. I made sure that we upgraded every level of that defense and gave him players he wanted. He couldn't get it done. And he can justify it to where he, he gets to stay. And at that point, you need to understand, hey, what's Kellen Mond? Do we have a future with this player? Or do we need to, hey, we're picking, like, let's say top 10. If we're picking top 10, do we need to go chase a quarterback? Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, but yeah, I want to see how both of these guys play in camp. I want to see where Jake Browning is at because we really just don't know what he is. I don't think he is necessarily going to project anywhere close to a starter. But if he can be a quality backup quarterback, kind of like a Chase Daniel, mm-hmm. then I think that you have yourselves a big victory with Jake Browning on the roster. Are there any other battles you're looking forward to? I want to see the uh, cornerback battle because I think that your top four cornerbacks can really shape up uh, between uh, the five guys we have on the roster. Jeff Gladney still a wild card. We will know more about that coming this week. Tomorrow he has a, a hearing in front of a grand jury where the prosecution is going to present their evidence against Gladney. The defense will not get to say anything prosecution will present that evidence the grand jury is going to decide whether to indict him so at that point we're going to know a little bit more about the situation that he's facing legally and if the grand jury decides not to indict i think there's a good chance that he's on the roster week one and that this all kind of gets i'm not going to say like uh brushed aside or anything because that's that's horrendous it will be pending the NFL's investigation, yep. which I'm sure they've already done. I'm sure they've already reached a conclusion to themselves. Mm-hmm. And um, they're waiting on the civil side to do its thing. But if but if the civil size side punts it and says, now we're not dealing with it, um, we're not indicting, which would surprise me. Any Everything we've seen in the press, it looks like that's going to happen. And most... Grand juries will indict a ham sandwich, as the old saying goes. Yeah. Um, then they will take whatever they found and then determine, are we going to suspend them first a, a mm-hmm. particular amount of time or not? Yeah. You know, but he could be playing. And the fact that he's mm-hmm. not at his, you said his court case is tomorrow? Yeah, uh, the indictment hearing is, is tomorrow. tomorrow. So yes. we'll find out tomorrow. So then we'll know by... Tuesday, Wednesday, whether he's going to be at camp or not. 
Uh, it's. I, I I'll say this: um, we don't know uh, when the grand jury will make their decision. We just know that it's the hearings tomorrow. They usually do it the it, same day. I, with that, I, I'm I can't confirm or deny it. I just don't know. I'll take your word for it that it's same day. But I just I know wish that we the had hearings Nick tomorrow. On our lawyer of the group. I know. Tell us that. Yeah, but, but I that's gonna be interesting. And then even if you take Gladney out of it, you have Patrick Peterson. Cameron Dantzler, Mackenzie Alexander, Bashad Breland, all going to be fighting uh, for playing time in that cornerback room. Who's going to step up? Who's going to stand out? Is Patrick Peterson going to be able to come back to form with Mike Zimmer and extend his career? Just look at what Terrence Newman was doing for Mike Zimmer at 40. Uh, you have Cam Dantzler in his second year. At, whenever you watched him, he kept getting beat at the catch point. And it just seemed like he was a, like a half step behind where he was supposed to be. Is yeah, he but, able to? But Dantzler was doing that. some marvelous things as well. Now the he question was. is: Is Breland going to overtake Dantzler? Has Dantzler mm-hmm. made those steps in the off season to, yeah. and, uh, to secure that spot? And I think with how well he played in the back half of the year, to your point, Dave, where he was making a lot of those plays and he played some fantastic football, like is he going to be able to, to expand on that and continue? And is he going to be able to fix the points earlier in the season when he just wasn't quite all the way there yet? I think it's a very layered conversation. I don't think it's a shoe in that Patrick Peterson starts week one. Just, yeah, he does have the veteran poise, but if he gets beat out by the other two, I think you could see Patrick Peterson kind of as that third guy, and maybe even the fourth guy with Mackenzie Alexander. Or maybe they decide to, hey, transition Pat Peterson more into like a safety hybrid role. Like, there's a, a going to be a lot to dissect with how the cornerback uh, battle develops. And I'm really excited to see that. And then the third one, you're talking about the, just the offensive line as a whole. Who are going to be the best five players? Anthony, Anthony asked the question. Mm-hmm. If Darisaw White Davis line live up to their potential, can this offensive line group have a chance to be a top, 10, top 15 unit? Mm-hmm. Anthony, I'm going to give you two answers. Yes. But not this year. Oh, you see, cannot. Uh, living so, up to potential. Well, most likely, will what will happen is they'll be middling, average yeah. fifteen. I'm cool with that, right? But mm-hmm. could they be better? The answer is always yes. It's just like, could anything else go wrong? Don't say that because the answer is always yes. Could they mm-hmm. be better? Yes. Is it likely? No. I mean, could they be top 10? Yes. But is it likely? I doubt it. But mm-hmm. are we going to see things that we like? And is it enough of an improvement to improve that offense in passing and in running and point production? And when it comes to the main number one, the big W's, winning the game. And I do believe that will be the case. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with the offensive line is, and you, having been a former offensive lineman yourself, Dave, I think will agree with this. It's not about adding one piece. It's about making sure you don't have a true weak point. And last year we had a really big weak point in Dakota Dozier in the past game, a really big weak point in Garrett Bradbury in the passing game. Our tackles were stout in the passing game. They were very capable and above average. If you can get average pass protection, from the middle three guys, Wyatt Davis, Ezra Cleveland, Garrett Bradbury. This has a potential to be a top five, top three kind of offense. Uh, biggest thing is you just got to make sure there's no true weak spot because they're going to attack, 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 attack. And I think they're going to keep attacking Garrett Bradbury until he proves that he can handle it. And honestly, that's that's the best strategy to defeat this offensive line. You have a quarterback who can move, is does really well when he's positioned to be on the move. But as far as if he drops back and then needs to move, he's he's not very good at it. He is relatively immobile, and he is not super poised in that he'll try and just sidestep a guy. He's he's a little bit of a statue and kind of uh, – I'm not going to say scared, but like he's a little timid in the pocket when he sees somebody coming at. He just kind of tucks the ball and then curls up yeah, and then kind of takes the sack. Self-preservation. Yeah. Exactly, it's self-preservation. Um, I'm excited to kind of see where they're at. I was not very high on Wyatt Davis's film coming out of college. I was very high on Christian Darrisaw, and it, Davis's big thing for me was he just he wasn't very mobile. 
but and he wasn't great at anything. Or his yeah. previous year, not last year. I thought he was better two years ago. Absolutely, uh, Davis. He's not great at anything. He's also not bad at anything. He's just a stout individual. Kind of uh, reminds me of uh, somebody Vikings fans know really well, David Dixon. Mm-hmm. The guy just played a stalwart right guard position for a decade. You never really knew he was there because his name was never called, but he also never did anything astronomically great. He was just, he was a, a really good hand for you. Yeah, and I think that's what Wise Davis can like be. Davis. Um, mm-hmm. Anthony asks about Ezra Cleveland. He has a good feeling. I like Ezra Cleveland. I liked him two years ago when we drafted him. Um, I agree with you, Anthony. I told a friend, a friend asked me in depth about it. One, he's worked at it this off season. He's put, he's been put on a diet to build weight properly. He's actually gotten bigger per uh, reporting from Courtney Cronin and I think uh, Matthew Collar. He's he's bulked up some, gotten stronger. He's back to his traditional side of playing football, the left side. And I think he will take a huge step from last season when we saw him come in there at the right side and at guard for the first time and learn that. I think that I very much look forward to seeing Ezra play. Now, a battle on the line, and I had mentioned this a few shows back that I'm looking forward to is one, I expect Wyatt Davis to start week one. I expect he will earn that starting position within two weeks of camp. It'll be his. Now, when it comes to Derisaw, on the other hand, I think that is going to be the interesting one. Derisaw has a higher hill to climb, pun intended, to be to beat out Rashad Hill at that starting left tackle. Rashad Hill is a competent left tackle, swing tackle. He has been, especially off the bench. Now, whether he's great or even mediocre compared to the rest of the league, that's a different story, and you can look at his game splits, and some of them are very, very good, but generally when they start, they aren't as good. Um, but that battle right there, how long will it take Derisaw to overtake Rashad Hill at left tackle is a battle I'm looking forward to. I expect it's going to, it will happen during the season. I suspect within the first six weeks. But the question is, will it by week one? Whereas I see Wyatt Davis will for sure be starting week one because of who he's competing with. Um, that's my camp yeah. battle that I'm going to be eyeballing almost every day and reading about and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's what I want to see. And there's another one, just out of the blue. Who's our long snapper? I used to know this. Was, I can tell you multiple long snappers from Vikings past. Um, I don't because we have he two. replaced Austin Cutting. Right. Uh, we had one replace Cutting last year. I That's don't DePaulo. remember what his name was. Depaul. Yep. And I, I don't remember. And we have a uh, second who, one, who. Uh, I got to find friend of the show, um, Luke Braun's deal on him. He came out of San Diego State, I think it was. This kid has been doing long snapping and studying it like a science since high school and competes in the, I've got every snap going back at 1.72 seconds. I've got placement this, placement that. And I'm curious to see how that plays out. But that's just me. That's just an ancillary. Whichever one works, it's going to be great. We're going to have the best of both worlds. But it, it's that's just a fun one to watch, just as we watch how our kicker is going to do this season. And hopefully with no pressure and actually kick well. But we'll see. And then you mentioned the ones on the defense. Yeah, and I... I want to chime in on that Darisaw point really quick, Dave, because I'm not convinced that Darisaw is going to win the job anytime soon because this organization loves Rashad Hill. There's a reason why they keep paying him like the, uh, what should we call it? Like, uh, not the vet minimum price, but the, uh, uh, it's like the restricted free agent t- tag of like 2.9 million. They keep paying it. 
because they like and value what Rashad Hill brings to this football team. Rashad Hill was starting over Brian O'Neill. His rookie year got hurt that second game, the tie at Lambeau Field. Brian O'Neill stepped in and didn't let it go. Uh, I think they're going to really treat Christian Derrissaw. And I will say Derrissaw is much farther along at this point than Brian O'Neill was going into training camp. But and he's, kind got, of factor he, everything. he's got the size where O'Neill came in at, a, um, what was it, 275? Like okay. It was something but small. It, but it was small for an offensive tackle. Yeah, and I, I just – I'm convinced that they're going to roll with Rashad Hill for a while because they, this team loves Rashad Hill. I, I don't disagree on that one. Mm-hmm. I, that's, that's why I said that's one of the interesting battles I'm looking forward to seeing here over the next few weeks. Yeah, and then you mentioned special teams. Did you know next season Britton Colquitt has a uh, cap hit of just under $4 million? <laughs> that can't be guaranteed. Um, if we cut him, uh, I think the dead hit would be seven twenty-five. So we'd save like three point two million. But damn, the only punter I in recent memory I would ever pay that kind of money to there, there's two: Thomas Morstead of the Bills, or no Brian Mormon of the Bills, who would just spear guys like he was in WWE, <laughs> and Shane Leckler is probably the best punter I've ever seen. Okay. Those two guys would be worth $4 million. Britton Colquitt? Like, oh. Uh, you never saw Ray Guy play. I did. I never that saw Ray Guy play. So, master. Oh, you know, God, did he have a I, I would probably end up having paid him too, but I, I just never saw him play. Oh, he's so the, He's the best that's ever played in the NFL, period. Perfect. When it comes to that position, period. There's nobody that can touch him. I haven't seen mm-hmm. 70-yard bombs, if you want that. He's booming them on target. Every, it's, it's just... He was a master. Yeah, yeah, and one more before we kind of move on, Dave. It, this defensive end group is going to be really fun to battle because you have Stephen Weatherly, Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham, Janarius Robinson. One of them is going to be a starter. We know what Stephen Weatherly brings. He's going to bring a solid, steady hand, and he's not going to give you a lot of upside. Patrick Jones is a very interesting guy because he – Came out of pit, and I did not like his film at all. I went back and revisited with a little bit more uh, foresight and having uh, talked to some people. He's at about 30% with everything he does as far as effectiveness and ability. So every move he makes is at about 30%. If you develop one or two of those, he could be really good because he's got length. He's got size. Oh, yeah. And he's got some athleticism to him. And then DJ Wanham. DJ Wanham had a pretty good year. You could you could say a great year for a fourth round pick, right? And, and does he if, take that next step in development? Absolutely. If he takes that next step, you're probably looking at him as the opposite edge uh, from Daniil Hunter. And we still can't uh, count Daniil Hunter as back until we see him and play in a couple of games. Like he is a big question mark too. So that edge group is going to be one that I'm really fascinated to watch. And Daniil said he has to get back into football shape. And they all do. Mm-hmm. And the, part of football shape is hitting shape. You got to yes. Your body has to be used to taking hits. That that's always part of uh, the preseason and training camps is to toughen up the body. Mm-hmm. Boxers do it, and football players do it, and uh, that that's all part of it. And we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Anthony, I want to comment on this before we move on, Dave. He thinks Janarius Robinson won that other defensive end spot. I want to temper expectations a little bit. Janarius Robinson's a project. He has every tool you could want. He has every ounce of size, length, athleticism. He he is not quite a Daniil Hunter level gen, genetic freak, but he is he's like a tier below that. He's got it. But he also went to Florida State where their coaching has been uh, notoriously bad for like the last four or five years. He's going to need time. So be excited about him. Be excited for his potential. Maybe we can find another diamond in the rough because we have been notoriously really good at finding mid-round defensive ends. But we shouldn't expect anything out of him this year just because of where he came from in college, what he was doing, how he projects out moving forward. So be excited, but also don't expect him to be a huge contributor this year. Mary's talks. She's excited for camp. 
We all are, Mary. We're <laughs> thrilled. <laughs> How excited are you over the latest signings? I, I think it, the D.D. Westbrook signing is it's a mixed bag for me. And I think it's a fantastic signing. I think we should we also should have made it two months ago. And I think that's where I'm at with it. I, it's more frustration than anything. Like, hey, we're going to wait down to the absolute bitter end to bring in a depth wide receiver. We talked earlier about Adam Thielen not being vaccinated. And if he all, all of a sudden went out with COVID again, you're talking about Justin Jefferson and Chad Beebe or Justin Jefferson and BC Johnson. This is the NFL. I understand we, o- we only played with three wide receivers or more 29% of the time last year. But at the end of the day, if one of those guys gets a soft tissue injury or COVID or, God forbid, tears an ACL, mm-hmm. where are you at? It's doom and gloom time. Like You need to at least have a quality player to step up for depth purposes. I you don't even have to. The Vikings gave him number 12. I, the, I'm not 100% sure if they the did. Um, well, it was a Photoshop. Uh, he just signed Obviously. his contract. So uh, D.D. Westbrook did wear number 12 in Jacksonville. And Ryan will correct me when he sees this. I think he wore – it was either 1 or 12 at Oklahoma. So I think that number specifically for him is a big deal. Uh, We'll see if he ends up wearing 12 as far as uh, a Minnesota Viking. But I think the fact that we only paid – this seems like a shade over the vet minimum. It's a big win for this team. You're still going to be, uh, in theory, carrying uh, around $13 million over to next year's cap. We're only five under the cap. Well, we so, got two extensions to still tuck in. Mm-hmm. So, And then you can front load some of that bit. right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you could. You could lower costs this year if you wanted to. But I, they may, like you said, front load them instead when we have mm-hmm. a little extra dime or two to throw at it. Which may be the smartest way. So you have that money available next year when uh, somebody's salary goes way up to $45 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the the Westbrook signing overall was good. Uh, He's going to be able to be a field stretcher. You're going to be able to run a lot of clear outs, a lot of daggers. Like uh, Get him just running straight up the seam on a go, and then you sneak Thielen or Jefferson in on a nice little 15-yard in route. Like clear out the safety, give them some room to work. Like you're going to be able to utilize him in a lot of different ways all across the line. And we still don't know what Clint Kubiak is as a uh, as a play caller or what he wants to do as an offensive coordinator. But he just got another good tool to work with, and that's always a positive. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any of the other signings going all the way back to let's say Peterson that you really like? I think Mackenzie Alexander is probably the biggest of the bunch, uh, just because. He's a guy who understands Mike Zimmer. He's a guy who knows his defense backwards and forwards. And when you're talking about uh, guys like Jeff Gladney and Cam Dancer, who just had to learn on the fly last year, that, that's, a, that's a big win uh, for them to have Mackenzie Alexander in them, in that cornerback room, to help. Mm-hmm. And I think he's not going to play a ton of snaps. We're probably only looking at between 40 and 60% of snaps from Mackenzie Alexander. But his presence... His ability to help them in the room, watching film, on the practice field, live during the game, I think is going to be. Yes, he's going to know what Zim wants. He knows how to handle Zim. He's going to be able to help these guys more than we realize. I think he's going to end up being the biggest signing as far as the development goes with these two young players. Mm -hmm. Could be. Now, I also like Tomlinson. I like the idea of the two defensive tackle front with Richardson rotating in depending on the circumstances and people moving over and hopefully Pierce is healthy. That bothers me that he's already injured, but Hey, he's not luckily we haven't lost anybody to injury yet. And yeah, uh, unlike some teams, I'm, I'm looking forward to how that defensive line's going to work. And it's specifically, designed to bust up the wide zone. And, of course, they're going to practice against the wide zone every day. So it should be fun to see how all that develops along along those lines. But I think the defense, what did you think of the contracts, the majority of them being one-year contracts? 
I think it's uh, you can really boil it down to two things. First thing, uh, the way the cap was structured, a lot of guys aren't going to want to sign big deals right now because they're going to be able to likely cash in for more money next year. You still saw a few guys who were like the top echelon free agents were going to get paid. The Joe Toonies, the Kenny Galladay's. Like those guys got paid. They were going to get paid no matter what. But a lot of guys be like, hey, you know what? I can only get six million this year, so yeah, I'll take that on one year deal. Down, we needed mm-hmm. to. Yeah. yeah, and then hey, you know what? Next year I'll get ten on a four year deal, mm-hmm. and that's I think how some of the guys are playing this. Now I think the other thing is we we need to talk about the elephant in the room that's kind of been there the whole time, and that's the Kirk Cousins contract. Next year, right now, we only have $5 million in cap space with all the contracts that are projected to go forward. Like, that's that's not good. Kirk Cousins yeah, is because a bunch of them are coming off the books because mm-hmm. they're one-year deals or somebody's yeah. scheduled to hit free agency. And that, that Cousins contract is, is debilitating to sign long-term deals. We well, ha- think about it. You do an extension for O'Neal and um, Hitman – That'll obviously put that over that five billion in space. So mm-hmm. right there, it's got to be negotiated, and we got to play with the money. You know, and the five mil is that on the anticipated cap for next year by OTC? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll pull it up, um, but I believe so. Yes. I believe it is, which could fluctuate a few million dollars, but you're still. You see how tight we are, and that's what's letting all these one-year wonders go. And you know if if the Vikings have a good season, like we all hope they will, right? If mm-hmm. they go deep into the playoffs, we'll be wanting to sign pardon me, a lot of those guys back, right? If Patrick Peterson does great and, you know, Zimmer re- – revives his career, he's going to want to stay and we're going to want to keep him. Um, yeah. Same with McKenzie Alexander. Same with D.D. Westbrook. If D.D. Westbrook cements himself as a, a solid number wide receiver three and a punt returner, and special teams-wise, when we were talking about that earlier, he's a good punt returner. Most of his returns are at punting, not kicking. Kicking, yes. we, we got the rookie Wang Chung that'll probably take those. But I would like to keep a good punt returner. You know, one that you didn't have to rely, you know, worry about that is guaranteed to generally average 10 yards per carry on punts. Every once in a while breaks one off. Hey, you're golden at that point. But the hindrance will be we'll have to make a decision on Kirk Cousins' contract. What is it? Three days into the new year. Um, at that um point? no. Uh, or can they wait? It's it's already fully guaranteed. Because remember, three That's days true. into uh, this year's league it, year it is was when it fully guaranteed. So they'll have to trade him, and possibly out of that trade negotiation, Minnesota Vikings will have to agree to pay part of his salary. Uh, it, so that's a possibility. Like, let's say hypothetically Denver takes him on. Okay. They would be responsible for $35 million. We would be just responsible for the $10 million in signing bonus that we paid to him with the extension. That's how we were able to spread it out over the three years to, to keep that cap hit down for, uh, 2019. And then because of 2022, that being fully guaranteed, that's why it was advantageous for him to sign the deal because he was basically getting another $66 million for just writing his name, and he had that extra security. So, Yeah, but can you convince a team to take Kirk Cousins at $35 million? You may not be able to. You may be able to take him at twenty, and then you go, we'll throw in the other fifteen. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm you know, saying. I, I wouldn't doubt that that would be the case. I think if you're the Denver Broncos and – you struggle with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke this year, and Aaron Rodgers isn't an option anymore. Kirk Cousins becomes mighty appealing with how incredibly talented that roster is. Mm-hmm. So it'll be something to really monitor moving forward. I think preseason, where Kellen Mond is at, is going to be a big indicator of 
uh, how they're going to treat Kirk Cousins moving forward. Because if Mond is really, really good in the preseason, that that, that almost spells the end of Kirk. Or if yeah, he gets he, a, a run later on in the season and he plays really well. I, it's going to be really interesting to see how all these dynamics play out. It will be. And, you know, and people say, well, we got all these guys this year. We signed in free agencies and we did rebuild up that defense again. And we've added a couple pieces to the offense. But what, how it slowed us down is we couldn't go after Thune at the time Thune was available. And we didn't have the money, nor we, you know, could do it at the time to compete. We put in mm-hmm. offers, but there were probably low-ball offers because that's all we could afford. It's those type of decisions that that massive contract early in the process of the offseason hindered the Vikings doing what they wanted to do. Now they've done things also that they've wanted to do because you go to plan B and you get other players, and they've done that, and they've done it well, and they've done it relatively inexpensively. The only big contract was what Peterson's, I think, at nine mil. They're you know they're not humongous contracts, and a lot of them are real low, like D.D. Westbrook, and it's that the, the timing of how everything played out is how Kirk's contract affected the off season and how we got a bunch mm-hmm. of short timers, some yeah. by choice and some by necessity. Next year, that contract will affect again, as we discussed, the need for off-season moves. As a fan, anybody that's watching, Anthony, Mary, Viking, Jerome, do you think he's going to be with the team next year? I personally don't, unless uh, this team really goes on a run. If Mike Zimmer's gone, I think Kirk's gone. I think it's going to be... Start fresh, if you especially if you end up with a top ten pick. There are about uh, having watched a lot of quarterbacks so far. There are about twelve guys uh, that could, in theory, end up making the jump to QB one. Like there's a lot of raw talent. Nobody's standing out. Last year you had Lawrence, you had Lance, you had Fields. Then Zach Wilson came into the fold, and Mac Jones. This year, it's a bunch of men. And a bunch of like, hey, if this guy does this, he's going to be really good. Oh, if this guy progresses here, he's going to be really good. There, There's no I'm going to tank for Tua situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just – I don't see a scenario where Kirk Cousins is on this team unless they go on a major run this year. Or nobody will take him in any kind of trade. Mm-hmm. The, I think those are the only two scenarios where he stays. Well, well there's – well, you talk major run. If – if the Vikings win it all this season, first time in their history, nobody will care at that point. Nobody will care. Mary asks, important will be which players step up as leaders, team leaders. Like Patrick Peterson will be one of them on the defensive side. You talked about Alexander. Um, it should be interesting to see who else on the offense um, – as a whole, steps up. Does Brian O'Neill step up, you know, to lead the linemen? Does Bradbury, you know, maybe he makes that improvement at, you know, pass blocking. He he calls the plays for the line. Does he step up and become the vocal one? Do you see anybody? I'm I'm showing Peterson without a doubt will. Um, Alexander. Uh, Kendricks, who else maybe step up as a vocal type leader on that group? I think when you have uh, Justin Jefferson and what kind of charisma he has already shown, I think he's a guy that could easily step up and be a vocal leader in that locker room. Dalvin Cook is much more of a laid back, casual type who's going to let his work on the field uh, do uh, the talking for him. And there are a lot of great leaders who do that. Delvin just doesn't strike me in everything that I've seen, every conversation interview he's had. It's the kind of guy who's going to get in your face and get you fired up with words. That's not him, and and that is okay. More like uh, I think, yeah, Harrison Smith is kind of the same way. 
like a blue collar lunch pail type. I'm going to put in the work. You're going to see me put in the work and we're going to have a respect because you know what I'm here, what I'm about. And there, there is a methodology that really works with that. As far as a vocal leader, I could see it being Justin Jefferson. I could see it being Cam Dantzler because I know he's got a lot of spunk to him and, and he has no problem uh, running his mouth on the field with some trash talk. Um, I think uh, having Daniil Hunter back will be a really good thing. Uh, he's He strikes me as more of a little bit of a quiet type too, but not nearly to the extremes. Uh, it was like uh, Cook and Harrison Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirk, Kirk doesn't strike me as a leader. And I kind of related to uh, what the Wild have been dealing with with Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter. Mm-hmm. Good players do the right things. They don't have great leadership traits. Right. I, I just don't, don't see have to. Um... It's okay if you're not a great leader. Not everyone is. As long as you do your best and you work really hard, like it, I don't care if my quarterback's not the most like incredible leader in the world. He does a good enough job. Was, but oh yeah. yeah, because of a pure position. Hey Raymond, um, but it's not necessary in the military. We studied leadership and we studied. A whole bunch of stuff, and in the military, you have you want you're you're trained to be a leader because you may be in that position someday. But you also needed managers, right? If you're stuck in a warehouse and you're punching a piece of paper, punch, move over, punch, move over, or you're managing that warehouse and you got inventory here and you got inventory there and you're making sure everything is lined up and that you have enough and you're ordering at the right time so you don't run out and this and that. That's managing. That is mm-hmm. a very necessary skill yes. that people need to have for the whole organization to be successful. If Kirk Cousins comes out there and he's managing well, right, and managing how I'm playing the game and doing this and doing that, we're moving down, we're taking chunks, boom, boom, boom. Receivers are open when they're supposed to be. I'm hitting them when they're supposed to be. Going deep when I'm supposed to be. Handing off to Dalvin Cook when I'm supposed to be. And everything flows well. That's good for the organization. You can still have somebody firing people up, like Justin Jefferson, right? Hey, let's do the, you know, the gritty. And and that helped motivate people. But you need both to make everything work together well. You absolutely need both. You need uh, people who, uh, there are some people who can do it all. There are, uh, like, especially having worked in the restaurant industry for a decade, there are some managers who will lead you, who will keep everything managed, who will be the rah-rah guy. Like, you have someone that can do it all. And there are some on the field or on the court or the ice that can do it all. Those people are alphas. They are rare breeds, and it's they're a fantastic addition to your team. I don't think we have one of those. I think you might have been able to make a, uh, an argument for Peak Everson Griffin as one of those kind of players because of everything that he was able to bring with his energy, his passion, his work on and off the field, and his uh, trash talk and motivational tactics with his voice. Like He was one of those kind of players. I don't think we have one of those right now. And I also don't think that that's a major detriment because we have a lot of people who do the right things, who work really hard, who are able to either speak or lead by example. And I think that this team, as far as a leadership contingency, I think will be okay. And as long as things don't absolutely catastrophically fall apart, I I think that where this team is heading will be just fine. We shall see. I bet somebody steps up, though. Does that answer your question, Mary? All right. Uh, Take from your comment you just made. I don't think we need Kirk to be Patton on the football field. But we (laughs) do need him to be a general. We do need him to be on top of his game and competent Mm -hmm. and making things work. Yes. Yes. Without a doubt. If not, the Vikings, the defense can be great this year if we can't put points on the board on a regular basis and win games it doesn't matter if Kirk comes out with a slow start 
this is my biggest fear because he started slow the last two years. If he comes out of, with a slow start and our, quote, easier part of the schedule, which is at the beginning, things are going to get rough and rough fast. He needs to come out on top of his game early, and we need to rack up those W's and bank them because when we get to the middle of the season, those W's look as the schedule is laid out, to be more difficult to come by. And we want to get as many as possible. Obviously. No, absolutely. Yes, you want players to trust him, Mary, without a doubt. Any last words there, Tyler? Ah. Look, I think we're all just really excited for training camp to start. I'm uh, sick of the wars on Twitter. I'm sick of uh, um, bad faith takes. I'm sick of hot takes just to be hot take. Like, I'm ready for the nitty gritty. I'm ready for the grind. I am ready for uh, to like uh, just to watch players do their thing again. Like, I want preseason football. Just let let's get the guys on the field. Let me watch all the lower level guys. See how they're doing. See how they're developing. See where they're at. I just want it all. I'm hopeful uh, I can make a training camp practice or two. Um, the wife and I do close on a house in nine days. So that might that might be a little tough this year, unfortunately. But I'm going to do everything I can to get there so I can um, get some uh, more content going for uh, this great franchise. But I'm, I'm ready. We have the Bengals week one. We need to prepare for that team. Like it's going to be the fight of our lives. Uh-huh. They are young and hungry. They have a quarterback that has the potential to be really, really good. They're going to spread us out. They're going to test us, especially in the secondary. I, let's, let's get ready to go. Yep, without a doubt. And it all starts this week. And stay tuned for more Climbing the Pocket goodies and shows as we ramp up our production to get ready for the full-blown season. Join us as we make that journey. Hopefully the journey with the Vikings all the Mm -hmm. way to the Lombardi, baby. There we go. Everybody else, have a great evening and skull! Thank you for watching or listening. As always, if you like, subscribe, and ring the bell for notifications. And if you're listening to the podcast, please rate us on your favorite aggregator. Skull, everybody.